Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. On this episode of Talking Business Now, we're happy to welcome back Frank Fumi. Frank is the founder of I-9 Sports, the nation's leading franchise of youth leagues and camps. He's also the author of a recently released best-selling book called Running With My Head Down, an entrepreneur's story of passion, perseverance, and a purpose. This is the third in a series of episodes we've done with Frank, who grew I-9 Sports to more than $300 million in sales, with 2 million participants in 900 communities across 30 states. In the first episode, we talked with Frank about his entrepreneurial journey, his lessons learned, and the mindset that's necessary for becoming a successful entrepreneur. In the second episode, we discussed how he used the franchising model to attain such phenomenal growth, and he shares tips and insights for those of you who may be considering franchising as a growth model. And what does an entrepreneur do to complete the cycle? Exit the business successfully. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Frank shares with us his exit strategy, what he wished he would have known as he prepared to sell, and what every entrepreneur must do to successfully transition to life beyond the business they founded. Frank, you have owned two businesses, both involving sports leagues, and you have sold both of them successfully. The first, you exited from entirely. The second one, you remain a minority shareholder and you're on the board of directors still. Talk to us about why you decided in each case, why you decided it was time, what prompted the sale, and in the second case, why you didn't exit completely. Well, Kelly, you know, I think there's a difference between appropriate quitting and giving up. Mm. (laughs) So my very first business, ABA Sports, was an adult men's softball league in Long Island. I started it from scratch. At one point, I almost gave up, and I actually put it on the market. I'll never forget, I went to a broker and I asked him how much he thought I can get for it. And he said, uh, maybe 100000 maybe. He goes, what, what are you even selling? It's like a mailing list. You know, you don't even own any of the fields or anything because we rent them out. And I held on to the business and I grew it. And then I grew to the point where I wanted to franchise the concept. And that's when appropriate quitting came into play when I realized I need to raise capital to franchise my company, my next business. And I decided to sell ABA Sports. And because it grew just four years after, I almost gave it up for 100 grand. I sold it for, which ended up being about $2 million. Oh, my. So <laughs> that was the right move to not, not to quit, not to give up when I did. But when I did sell it, I inevitably, it was like uh, it was just under a million dollars in cash. And I needed that to raise capital to fund. I-9 Sports, which is the company that I ended up franchising. And then I ran that company for, let's see, approximately 17 years. And then the first realization was that I kind of like I was at the end of vision for the business was complete. Um, I love the company with all my heart, but I realized it was, it was time for me to move on. So I kind of sold it in two parts. I sold it as an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. And then two years later, I resold the company, closed the ESOP, and sold to a private equity. And I stayed on though, as I stay on today as a minority shareholder and and on the board of directors. And it's awesome because I get to still be part of the company without having any of the responsibilities. Enjoy the rest of the ride up. It's fascinating that in the first instance, you did it because you needed to raise cash for a second 
idea that you had in mind and the business was the vehicle that could provide that cash. And then the second one was just that I love this business, but I've taken it as far as I can take it. And so many business owners, they're like the quarterback that doesn't know when it's time to hang up the cleats. They just keep thinking they can go at it and go at it. And and you at least had the self-awareness to know that if it was going to grow further for your customers, for your employees, uh, for, for other stakeholders that you needed to get out of the businesses way. But what I want to go back to was the first business you talked about. You almost let it go for $100,000 four years before you finally did sell it. And you hear so much about you shouldn't just wait until you're ready to sell the business to try to sell the business because so often you need a much longer runway in order to prepare that business for sale in order to get the most value out of it. So talk to us a little bit about that. How did you take it in four years? What did you have to do to that business to increase its value from $100,000 to over a million dollars? I needed to get out of my own way and start hiring people. Ah, <laughs> because okay. the, the, the real reason why, if you, if you want to get to the real core reason why I was even selling it or why I was giving up, is because I was completely stressed out, burned out. I was essentially running the business by myself in a spare bedroom, and I couldn't take it anymore. Anytime a crisis would break out, everything landed on me. I didn't have the wherewithal to start hiring a team of people. So when I was ready to, quote, unquote, give up or sell, it wasn't because of, hey, I've taken as far as I can go. It was, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. It was out of desperation. If I had been running the company so well where I had a management team wrapped around me, we were growing, and I gave myself runway where I said, hey, I can see this selling it down the road you know, because it's going so well or because I'll move on to something else that would have been a different story. But how I really took it to the point where I was able to sell it for over $2 million when you include royalties and everything else it came out to is because I got out of my own way basically by hiring people in the different for different positions that I had not done earlier since I was doing all the work. It was time to start having real confidence in myself that this is a real company, not just a business that was running out of a spare bedroom. And by hiring people for the necessary positions and not just abdicating, but really delegating the work out, it allowed me to do what I do best. So the company grew really because I was able then to focus more on the vision of the company and strategy and not running all of the tasks of everything related to the business. I always tell business owners, you are too expensive <laughs> as a business owner to be doing these little tasks. You need to hire people. You're costing your company too much money. You're too valuable. You're too expensive. So I did do that by getting out of my own way and hiring people. And that's how the company grew. Yeah. And I would imagine that as you hired people and, and grew out from a staffing perspective, that meant that you had to put more processes in place and a new owner comes in and they're not looking just at the revenue that you generate. They're looking at the management team that you've put in place, which you did. You put a management team and others in place and then the processes that you have in place so that it's a sustainable business that they're buying. Right, because when you're working from your spare bedroom like I was, there were no systems or processes, right? I mean, I had everything in my head. It, this was no different than my, my grandma having the recipe for making meatballs and sauce on Sunday. She knew how to do it, but she didn't have anything written down. She had done her whole life. That's how I ran my business. I was making meatballs and sauce on Sunday just <laughs> by top of my head. But that's no way you're really going to sell your business. So if you're listening to this and you think you're going to sell your business, 
and you've got it, everything, you know, in your head, you are costing yourself so much money by not having the systems and processes written down because when it does come time to sell it, the first question the owner is going to have for you, well, after they find out how much money it's really making, it's going to be, tell me about how you do what you do. If you tell them you have it all in your head, you're done. I mean, they're not going to want to buy the business or they're going to get a steep discount. So I need to put those systems and processes in place. We've talked about what you need to do in order to build a saleable business. Once you've built a saleable business, who do you surround yourself with in order to value it, find a buyer, and then work with that buyer on price? And, you know, they say that you you can't get everything that you're asking for in a business. You can get terms or you can get price. I I hear that often too. You you don't don't think you're going to get everything. And so who do you surround yourself as you begin that actual process of selling the business? Who do you need to be working with? The first thing I would I would ask is at what level are you selling your company? If your company is being sold for, let's say it's, you think it's you're doing, um, you're doing a couple of hundred thousand dollars net profit and you're going to sell for maybe, you know, two and a half, three, I don't know, maybe five times earnings. You could do it, your, not just with yourself, but finding a broker, a business broker. So you're not talking about huge dollars. But if you're talking about the company doing a net income of a couple of million dollars or more annual income, now you're talking about bringing in an investment banker. Now you're playing at a whole new level. So my first business where we were, you know, selling it, for well, we sold it for let's see it, you know, it was the million dollars plus royalties. I just needed to find a business broker. When I sold my second company where we were doing roughly four million dollars in net annual income, that's when we needed to get an investment banker involved. They go ahead and find a valuation company, they do a valuation of your company, and then they go out and start getting your company bidded out to private equity firms that may be interested in it and they handle it that way. So it really depends on what you know, what level is your company operating at? What does revenues look like? And what is the, uh, the net income looking like? Mm-hmm. Who do you have playing ball with you? Like who's on your team? Because you don't need to have an all-star cast of uh, an investment banker on your team if your company is only netting a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. So, so it may be the difference between, say, a Main Street business versus these larger ones that you're talking about. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very curious. We can go through more the technical side of selling the business. But one that I think gets overlooked a lot is what does the business owner do afterwards? So many business owners are tied up. Their identity is tied up in their business. And that is not something they think about. And that it comes as a surprise. The closer that the sale date, the close date gets to to happening, and even after the close date, they're a mess. And so, so how do you get yourself as the business owner, somebody who's nurtured this baby for so many years, how do you prepare yourself to exit? You're bringing back a lot of strong memories and feelings for sure, because I went through that. Life after exit is a real thing, and people are not necessarily prepared for because you're so focused on trying to get to the finish line of selling the company. It's almost like when you sell your house and you go through that whole thing, you can't wait till when is closing finally going to happen, then I'll relax, then I'll be happy. That's what happens when you sell your business. You finally get to the finish line because you you really don't think about what happens next. You think, I'm just going to relax for a bit. And when I sold my company, yes, it was all celebratory and great time and thank goodness and everything happened the way I wanted it to. But then the next day I woke up and I had nowhere to go. And I kind of wondered what is next. And I didn't know what's next. So what I would what I would share with people, I think the most important thing, because I'm so passionate about life after exit since I've done it myself, is 
take time and don't run into anything. The biggest mistake that I've learned from other people that they've made is they either A, try to refill their life by starting another business or B, start taking and deploying that money into investments of buying other things, buying whether it's buying lots of toys or buying other businesses or buying things they don't need. How about taking time for yourself and reevaluate your life? Where are you in life? What do you want? What do you want to do to redesign your life? In other words, this will be the first time in your life when you sell your business that you get to create and design the future of your life as opposed to you being your life being dictated by your business, which we get so accustomed to and is part of our identity. You know what? I focused on my physical health and going to the gym and having a personal trainer really focused on my physical health more than ever. And I started doing things that I never did before. I picked up the electric guitar and took lessons. It's <laughs> not something you would ever think a 50-year-old guy would do for the first time in his life, but I always wanted to play the guitar. I picked it up and started getting lessons. I started journaling. I wrote my first book, being a personal memoir. I wanted to create a legacy book for my friends and family. And I created this huge, it's a big 500-page book with pictures and everything. It's strictly for family. I filled my time doing what I wanted to do and purposely did not jump into investing, you know, other aside of investing the proceeds, of course, wisely. Right. But I didn't go jumping into another business. Right. Or any, any commitments, I should say. A bit of a corollary to that is many times when someone sells their business, part of the terms of the sale is for that founder, that owner, to stay on for a period of time. What's your philosophy on that? Is it wise to stay on as now an employee in a business that you founded and ran for so long? Or is it best to just make a clean break and move on? It really depends on the individual and the opportunity. So in my case with my business, my company was still running at double-digit growth. It was not a fire sale. It was because it was time for me to move on that I sold the company. And of course, like most buyers, they want the founder to stay on in some capacity, be on a board of directors, be a consultant. They don't let you just walk away. In fact, with the structure of the sale of my business, approximately approximately 10% of the proceeds was taken to reinvest in the company in good faith to show that I believed in the company still, which I think was really wise by this private equity firm. Now, fortunately for my company, like I said, it was growing and I believed in it. They want to see that I believe in the company still. I think if you have an opportunity yourself, not just physically to do it, but I mean like emotionally get past being the CEO and owner and be the founder, be the loving grandfather or grandmother of the business where you get to go, see the business, play with it, and then hand it back to mommy and daddy. That's what I do now with, with my business. I get to go to the board meetings. I get to contribute. I get to see the employees. I get to love on them and talk to them and have fun with the business as much or as little as I want. But at the end of the day, if, if you can't get that emotional detachment and you're going to start judging decisions they make and everything else, then you know what? Cut the cord, move on to something else. That's what's allowed me to stay on as a minority shareholder and board directors. It's part of my legacy. It's part of what I did, and it's not my identity, but I'll always be tied to it. I'm embracing it. I love it. You mentioned that this went through a two-phased sale, that initially you sold it as an ESOP, so your employees owned part of the company, and then you sold it eventually to an institutional investor. Talk to us about preparing your staff, your management team for a sale. 
and ensuring that the culture that they've grown to know and hopefully love is not going to change or at least not going to change to an extent that they all start heading for the doors. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, when you do the ESOP, which is the first stage that I did, where I'm actually selling to the employees, other than the few people in the, in the part of the leadership team, I couldn't share it out with everybody that we were going to do the ESOP because, well, for one, people wouldn't understand it. They might start freaking out. They don't know what it means. And two, what if I didn't go through with it? They mm-hmm. might be even disappointed that it didn't happen. Right. So it was one of those times where I could not be transparent. It had to be strictly a leadership team involvement until the deal was signed, sealed, delivered, and over. And then it was all about communicating to the employees of what an ESOP was. Now, for those that are listening about an ESOP, the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, I'm actually, was, I was selling the company to the employees without them laying out even a single dollar, whereby the, the company that I owned gets a loan from a bank or from a private equity firm in our case. They loan the money to the company and the company pays me, the owner, a percentage of the company I was selling and then shares are being distributed out to employees. And then it goes into their retirement account each year. By doing that, the employees get to, obviously they get to receive benefits that they weren't expecting or any money they had to invest in. Me as the owner, I get to sell the company or sell part of the company and not pay any tax up front. It's all tax deferred. It got rolled into stocks and bonds and floating rate notes. And also I didn't give my competitors any information because most times, you know, a lot of times you sell your company to a competitor. In this case, I was selling it to my employees through through virtual, through a bank and through a trustee. So that was an opportunity where it could be done internally. And I got to keep a legacy with the business until two years later when I sold it to a private equity firm. It was the same firm that financed the first loan. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, the employees were thrilled. They were nervous, of course. They were later thrilled to hear that the stock price doubled. They made a whole bunch of money. And look, I got to help some of my employees have they had life-changing money as opposed to me just giving it to Uncle Sam and paying taxes and walking away. I got to help the people who helped me get to the top. And it, look, it helped me and my family as well. Right. So it was a win-win situation. Yeah. And in your case, because it was the same group that gave you the first loan, you had a chance to, what shall we say, you had a chance to date for a couple of years before you actually had a full-fledged marriage. Yes. Oh, here's the other thing, though. I'll tell you what, Kelly, you know what really weighed on me when I was selling the company? Mm. One of the things that weighed on me before I, is I wasn't sure, do I do an ESOP or do I just do a private equity sale and walk away? And it really drove me up a wall. And the big thing that scared me about selling to private equity was who's going to buy it and are they going to let my employees go? I felt so loyal to my employees who helped me get where I got. I was so fearful that what if somebody comes in and wipes out the company? And I'll never forget. Now, I did the ESOP, as you know, at first, right? But I'll never forget, I had a conversation with my accountant. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, Frank, you know, your employees, they're just as free to quit anytime they want. And he said to me, why are you worried about what's going to happen with a private equity firm on whether they're going to stay or not? They can leave if they want to go. And I thought, I never really thought of that, right? They had that freedom. But here's the other thing that really triggered this. The private equity firm that owns our company, at some point, they are going to sell the company. Yes. I have no say. They're going to sell to anybody they want to. There's no, there's no telling they're going to keep all my employees. Who knows? And they have that right. But look how I made it such a big deal about, oh, my gosh, who's going to buy my company? Are they going to keep everybody? 
they have the freedom to choose. And and look, the people who bought my company, they're going to freely make the move whenever they want. And my employees don't have a decision in it. So in other words, you have to think about yourself, think about your family, and you want to treat your employees fairly. And if it means selling to a private equity and you giving them a cut of it as a bonus, then go ahead and do that if, if an ESOP isn't right for you, if your company doesn't, isn't eligible for an ESOP. There's many ways of skinning a cat. Any last parting advice to someone who is beginning to think about selling their company? Can you point them somewhere? Can you give them something to chew on as they continue to consider this monumental, really, this monumental change that they're contemplating? Well, the monumental quote was from Tony Robbins at a Business Mastery Conference, and this is the thing that hit me right between the eyes when Tony said, Success without fulfillment is ultimate failure. And if you don't have passion for what you do anymore, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your company to get out. When he said you owe it to your company, it occurred to me I was actually hurting my company if I stuck around because I didn't have the passion for it anymore. That's the last thing I would want to do. So if you're listening to this and you don't have the same passion for what you do and it's time to move on, don't would have, could have, should have down the road because with your company, what if it starts going the wrong direction? What if it doesn't keep growing? And then you're going to have a harder time selling it. You want to sell it, obviously, hopefully at a high. I mean, my companies continue to grow, but don't would have, could have, should have yourself. Live your life with absolutely no regrets. When it's time to move on, it's time to move on. And um, you don't want to hold back. Wonderful advice. It's hard sometimes for a business owner to hear, but when you put it like that, maybe it'll sink in a little bit better. Thank you so much, Frank, for sharing all of your insights with us today. You're very welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to visit the Talking Business Now website at talkingbusinessnow.com for access to all my podcasts and to sign up for the weekly Talking Business Now newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.